surprised how much technology sits at some of these stations that never get used. And it's because the end user was never truly asked what the problems were. Good morning and welcome to the Solving Wildfire podcast. This is a highly abbreviated Flashpoint edition. I'm your host, Brian Gardner. Today we have Jonathan Colazzo and Derek Stevens building Ostrich Air. They've been racing drones and are now helping with the wildfire problem, along with the possibility for supporting emergency response in many areas, both rural and urban. They got their start with drones in entertainment, but really their skill set is in robotic systems generally. Although they're strong in technology, they're emphasizing solutions to the operational hurdles of using drone technology. This emphasis arises from understanding what emergency responders actually use and don't use and why. Let's get into the conversations. Before we go into the wildfire stuff, when we were just scheduling this, you guys just landed a gig with an Asian country was all you would reveal at the time, building basically a human air taxi around. What have you guys done and why did they come to you? So we have a vast experience on working with just tons of different robotic applications. And one of them is building propulsion systems for flying cars or flying taxis. As you guys know, there's this massive race going around the world to create these vehicles. Through references, we were reached out to be one of those companies to try to catch up to what some of the bigger companies have already accomplished. All right. Street credibility is why you got there in the first place. Now, let's just let everyone laugh a little bit. What's your view of the feasibility of this human taxi actually becoming a real thing at the pace that these countries are racing? I think a lot of expectations of how fast it'll come into operation are a bit optimistic because of the amount of infrastructure and everything that needs to be put in place. And one of those things is that the amount of air it takes to lift a vehicle like that, none of your neighbors or nobody around you is going to like you if you do that and you take <laughs> off from your neighborhood because you're going to just be blowing debris everywhere. And same if you're trying to take off in, on the middle of the road, the amount of gravel and dirt you're going to be sending everywhere is going to be... Let's just put it this way. Yeah. If, you, you, if you take a flying car and use it as a car and try to take off anywhere where a car is, you will destroy every car that's around you. I love that you guys go straight to the irrefutable physics of how much air you have to move. For the other listeners, when I was with these guys at their shop talking about their battle bot that they did, it was fun how quickly answers went right back to the engineering or the physics behind it. It was like being back at SpaceX again. And the answer isn't maybe this, maybe it was, well, if you just look at this, this, and that, that, and equals these things, it just doesn't add up. <laughs> or you find the answer that it might add up, and then it gets to be exciting from there. Yeah. Your story, what got you into wildfire? Honestly, it took a while to get to the wildfire thing. We started the company just for fun. It was a side thing as a hobby to be able to push drone technology in racing. So we started just basically hanging out every weekend and racing drones. Eventually, you wanted bigger, faster, better. And that led to developing just a ton of relationships with different industries in order to get those parts to be changed for us so that we can get that one extra percentage of speed or durability. And by doing that, we realized we started developing a lot of technology that would actually affect everything that's happening with drone technology. I actually sat across a VC that offered us money and I told them, if I take your money right now, you'll never get it back. 
And the reason you're not going to get it back is because I don't have a focus on how I'm going to give you that money back, but I will be back. <laughs> and that's one of my close friends right now. So that's how we ended up white labeling for other companies or consulting and creating these robots. And it was so we could find out what would be the real thing that would make a big change? What can actually affect humanity? What can actually do something positive? Eventually, after working on pretty much everything, the desert, stuff that could be used in space, security, construction, inspections, with those skills, then you kind of realize what's going to happen first and what's going to come in second. And we learned that this is a very difficult thing to solve when we started talking to the fire departments so we started creating the relationships because as we learn with everything, the first thing that you have to do to do any kind of change is to create those relationships that can make or can accept or modify laws or the things that are stopping this technology from going into its place. Then we decided, okay, yeah, if we can make an impact here, even though it's difficult, it should be a really cool thing for us as a company and best way for us to come out to the world and show our skills. When we showed up at the fire department, we were really eager and we came, we had this huge amount of things that we thought would be amazing for them. And they gave us the whole, uh, um, yeah, okay, guys. And I sensed that. I was like, okay, those were great ideas. Why are these guys not attaching to them? So after further exploring, I literally started going, what do you have? How are you using it? What's going on? What's wrong with all of this stuff that's sitting here? Once you start asking all those questions, they completely change. You'd be surprised how much technology sits at some of these stations that never get used and it's costing an insane amount of money. And it's because the end user was never truly asked what the problems were. What have you found is that underserved need? Who are you working with? Who wants your stuff right now? We're working with the local fire department because we realize that we are actually sitting on a perfect place. Right now, San Jose Fire Department, it takes an enormous amount of calls. So it was a good way to really get a lot of data and a good start. Also, the person that we're working with directly is the person that's actually been pushing basically the drone evangelist for the whole area. He's gotten drones to be used the train, and which is a huge undertaking for him. So he knows exactly what's going on, what's going wrong. And through him, we met a lot of other firefighters in different districts that are learning the real reasons why everything that they currently have doesn't really work for them. Let's go through a bit of what have you learned? What are these fire chiefs you work with who already have technology that's sitting idle? What have they learned about what doesn't work? Well, I'll be brutal with it, honestly. The things that we've learned is that a lot of these companies are saying they're going to fix a problem when... The technology is not there yet. So the solution right now is to be able to solve or at least help alleviate the problem with the technology that you can do right now, but also make that technology to be scalable. Drone technology has a lot of good and a lot of disadvantages. So if you end up trying to have one company solve the entire problem, the only way that we've learned that you can solve something this big is with networking and having multiple companies be able to help you achieve this goal. The drone can only do so much. The drone can do the surveillance. The drone can give back a lot of that information and give that accurately to the firefighter. The firefighter doesn't need to 
be thinking about it while he's trying to get dressed and drive into this location. We've had to do a lot of jobs that are over people, over buildings in Hollywood through very expensive actors. <laughs> Pretty much every way you can imagine, right? Uh, an inspection on a chemical plant that if the drone sparks, then you all die and that's bad. So uh, there's actually quite a bit that's stopping a lot of these companies from doing it. One of the other issues they run into is there's a lot of drones out there that can do amazing things and they work in a perfect environment. On a sunny day, with low wind, yes. they work fantastic and do amazing things. You give it, make it a windy day, rainy, you make it nighttime, they don't work. As soon as you get into real conditions and real weather, they don't perform like they're supposed to. These departments and people you've worked with, how many have tried to onboard some kind of drone system, but then ends up not getting used? I can tell you that every single fire department or emergency service company ends up going down to one drone almost. And the only reason that they use that drone, even though they will tell you that it's not the perfect drone, is because it was easy to deploy at that moment. That tells you a lot, right? This is interesting and counterintuitive a bit. The crux of the problem, it's not the engineering. It's the deployment. Yeah, so it is, um, but it isn't at the same time. Obviously, because of the knowledge that we have on the racing side, it will help our drones to last a little bit longer, be a little bit faster. So all of that still falls into it, but that wasn't really the solution. We want to solve the problem. So we're actually reaching out to a ton of different companies that have different technologies that are willing to work with us. It's not like we're just trying to do it all ourselves. We want to make sure we take the best of the best from the different technologies and incorporate them to really, really bring a solution in. So what are these other technologies, the things you guys are not doing, but you're bringing together? We just actually had a meeting with Jay Elliott. He's a former VP of Apple. And for example, he has an emergency services app for people who got hurt. If a person is in danger in a medical situation or, hey, there's a fire and they're in the outskirts of one of these communities, by pressing a button, they're able to tell emergency services everything about that person, including all their medical, any allergies, so that when they go help this person, they know exactly how to treat that person and possibly save their lives. Well, having the drone added to that, now you're able to specifically bring a medication, for example, with that same platform. So if I needed to bring an IP pen along with doing the surveillance and help that person why emergency services lets them out, as on top of giving them a better route to get them out of there based on what the wildfire is doing or what the situation is around that person. One of my favorite things about this whole wildfire thing and where we are right now in this moment in history or progress is there's a convergence of technology coming across all the world and it hasn't converged yet in wildfire, but it is starting to converge. Going toward fully autonomous drones versus piloted drones, what have you guys found in terms of what's being attempted and what's being uptaken? It kind of depends on the application. Some things piloted drones are fine, especially if it's something that's planned ahead. So Hollywood, Piloted drones work well for that. Everything's planned ahead. They have pilots ready for it and everything's scheduled. With events that are not planned, especially with emergency services, piloting is a lot more difficult because making sure you have a pilot there ready to go, 
like with your firefighters. If you want them to fly drones, you have to train them to be a pilot. It makes me laugh. You say you've been working with the world's best pilots who can act as the autonomy. And when I run across AI startups, they put AI in their name and all they're doing is just having humans do what eventually AI is going to do. Don't get me started. You know, I'll get crazy. (laughs) They they somehow still get funded and the facade of AI continues on. You might not want to record that. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely not. Everybody has my head. That, Derek's getting edited out right there. <laughs> they needed a solution. They didn't need to solve their problem, and they were very happy with it. You can actually repeat what you said, but you can say it without. legally allowed to fly at night and have, have developed relationships with the different agencies so we can quickly get approval. We've also filmed, we've chased planes, we've done work that makes pilots comfortable to having us in their same airspace. So I guess a lot of that real life experience that we've been doing for other things will all apply into being able to help with this. We have been flying with manned aircraft in the air at the same time and on radios talking to them. So we also have that experience of what that environment looks like and how it's handled and no ways that you can do it safely. And just experiencing that environment of, you know, what's the terminology? What kind of information do they tell you? How do they fly? And then knowing where you can position yourself so you're out of the way the most and things of that nature. We've worked on or have been a part of 2,000 pound lifters. But that's, I don't think that's the solution, really. So the heavy lifter, it's cool. But again, you're doing something that man systems are doing right now. Can we build a big aircraft right now that won't be for human? Yes, we could do that. I will take you over to our other location and you could see aircraft being built. But that's not, you need to basically focus on that first obstacle. And then once you focus on that first obstacle, which is, let's find that fire fast enough and start integrating into the system, then eventually, yeah, you can go and build that other aircraft. That's why we want to focus on this one part. If you tackle each task into its own, then you can actually do a bigger impact than trying to go into the 10-year ahead of what will be. The heavy lifter, it's a lot easier to get approval to fly a 5- or 10-pound drone in something like this than trying to get a 500-pound drone. So one of the things is also proving you can do stuff safely. It's a lot easier if you can ramp up slowly and being able to fly a small drone and be able to do that safely. And then you, it's a lot easier to get permission for a little bigger drone, a little bigger drone, and move on that way as well. Because it builds comfort to the companies that you're working for. When we started doing the Hollywood stuff, producers and actors were just deathly scared of these things. And you're flying a heavy camera at high speeds through obstacles, indoors, outdoors, through fires, explosions, all sorts of crazy things. And... And now they're all like, I'm good, get closer, do this, do that, you know? But that's that adopting of new technology. It takes a lot, it takes a lot of learning. So if you just go for straight the big guy, you're gonna miss out on a lot of things that you could have made that big vehicle better. No, thank you, man. It's been really cool talking to you. We were actually really excited to do the podcast with you. Yesterday we did one for Hum and Garden. Yeah, um, two days ago. And it's like, Hum and Garden? They're interested, sure, whatever. We'll do a podcast for Home and Garden. 
I guess if you can afford a nice place with a giant garden here in Silicon Valley, you can afford to fund us. So, <laughs> so maybe, maybe it works out that way. <laughs> Send me a link to the home and garden. I'll be curious what kind of questions they ask. <laughs> it was it was definitely all tech. But, yeah, um, yeah. This woman who started this podcast on homes and gardens, and then she got a few months in and got bored, and was like, "Okay, I'm gonna start covering tech stuff." It's <laughs> <laughs> still called home and gardens. So. I'm still honored to the fact that she wanted to bring us on, and actually. It kind of already started paying off because some of the people she was talking to in the background are now reaching out to us. So, yeah, weirder stuff has happened. So. We landed our Series A through Home and Garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know. <laughs> well, thanks guys for coming onto the show. This has been fun. I wish I could take everyone into your bowling alley that has been wrecked and ripped apart and decked out and see all your fun hardware. And then just to, we didn't even talk about the BattleBot yet. Uh, but, yeah, man, that's next week. So next Thursday, Discovery Channel, you'll see our team with a brand new BattleBot that was created just to prove to the world that we can make something that's very unique in a very short period of time and access a lot of companies and talent to be able to make a really cool solution that's different than what they've seen. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, guys. Best of luck, Thank and you. we'll have you on again. All right. It's our pleasure. Thank you, man. That was Jonathan Colazzo and Derek Stevens building Ostrich Air from racing drones to now helping solve the wildfire problem. 